What's up, everyone? Welcome back to The Planet Today. Today is Friday, January 21st, 2022. I'm your host, Matt Norton, here once again with our producer and co-host, Nick Janusa. Nick, how's it going? Maddie? I am fired up on a Friday. I am bearing down through the dog days of winter right now. Yeah, it's... Uh it's weird, man, because with like Omicron surging, I was ready to get a gym membership because it's too cold to run outside. And then I was like, <laughs> uh, I don't know if I want to do cardio in a gym with a mask on. Yeah. I'm just going to tough it out in the winter storms. And it was so <laughs> windy today. <laughs> yeah. Today was brutal. We're recording on Tuesday, but dude, yeah, it's been brutally cold and the wind has been whipping. Yeah. Yeah. I ran a 5k earlier and it just felt like the wind was in my face the entire run. Like I, I was telling myself, all right, just get through this first half. And then on the way home, wind's going to be at my back. And it was just never at my back at any point. <laughs> <laughs> That's always the worst. Um, before we get into the show, Nick, we got to talk. Did you see what happened right after we praised Leo for his work on climate change? No, I don't think I did. He rented a yacht. A f***ing yacht. You're kidding. <laughs> it was 315 feet, and it produces as much carbon in a seven-mile sailing trip as the average car produces in one, that's that's one year. And he's allegedly offsetting the carbon, but look, I don't know. I think it would be a lot easier to just rent a smaller, more efficient boat that doesn't produce as much carbon in the first place. So yeah, I was pretty disappointed in that one. Dude, what the hell? Like... I'm going to go ahead and redact everything I said about him on that on that past episode. I feel like this is like the downfalls of being like a really huge climate activist and then also being like a multimillionaire is like, yeah, shoot. Like now I can't really do anything bad for the environment that that millionaires normally do. So Leo's not a climate scientist by any means, but he reads all of their literature and publishes it and, you know, amplifies their voices. So he knows the damage he was doing. So yeah, that was, uh, was pretty frustrating there. Yeah, absolutely. What the hell, Leo? You know what, Leo, you're not allowed on next week's episode anymore. He was going to come on. So tell your friends. <laughs> <laughs> We're also not going to mention him at all next episode. So deal. He's getting a one episode ban. Exactly. He is suspended for one <laughs> week. And with that, let's get into the show. Welcome to the planet today. Here on TPT, we cover the latest in climate change, wildlife conservation, renewable energy, and environmental policy with two episodes every week coming your way Monday and Friday. This show is your one-stop shop for all things environmental. Whether you're just diving into a green lifestyle or you're ready for some more involved conversations about what can be some complex topics, TPT has a little bit for everyone, so we're happy to have you as a listener. And as always, really important before we get into the show... Spotify, Apple, five-star reviews. You know what we're going to ask you. Please go log into those apps. Give us that five-star rating. It's really nice. Yeah, do it on Apple too. Help us out with a rating and review wherever you can, whenever you can. It helps us out more than you think. Yeah, and share the show with your friends. Share a post on social media. Engage with us. 
love us like we love you. Do anything. <laughs> and I will be extremely appreciative. All right, let's get into our first quick hit of the week. And it is by Harry Cockburn of The Independent, who writes, Power Grid fails as Argentina hit by record-breaking heat wave. All right, let's just get this one out of the way right away. Um, if your name is Harry Cockburn, I think it's best to go by Harold. And we're going to leave it at that. <laughs> Argentina experienced a heat wave last week as temperatures hit 113 degrees Fahrenheit or 45 degrees Celsius. And that caused power grids to fail and left over 700,000 people without electricity in Buenos Aires. A La Nina weather pattern caused hot, dry weather to come in from the Pacific Ocean and made the country the hottest place on Earth. This was the hottest day for the country since 1957. Cockburn points out that no single event can be attributed to climate change, but the role that the climate crisis is playing in heat waves is well documented. He adds that in Argentina, rising temperature trends and lack of rainfall is a contributor here. Something that's also caused the Parana River to drop to an 80-year low. Yeah, and electricity companies in Argentina blamed a huge spike in demand for energy for the power failures, which tells me that people probably used either AC or fans in order to stay cool. Yeah, 113 degrees Fahrenheit is just brutal, and Argentinian leaders warned residents to stay out of the sun, stay hydrated, and wear light clothes. Um, Argentinian farmers said that crops have lightly experienced the most heat stress in recent weeks compared to the last several years. So due to the long dry spell, soil moisture levels have been depleted and crop stress has increased. It's also worth noting that Argentina doesn't rely much on renewables, so this one falls on fossil fuels for the power grid failing. Yeah, and I wanted to bring this quote up that I saw, which talks about blackouts in the U.S. I know we're talking about Argentina, but it's the same principle. And the quote is, while the lights are on in the U.S. over 99% of the time, sudden outages still cost at least $150 billion a year. So if that's the case, like why not really start putting big money into re renewables now? Because then at least we can build up the grid's resilience to extreme conditions like this one by supplementing the fossil fuel energy with renewables. Yeah, it's a good point. And I think a lot of it just have to, has to do with infrastructure. Um, it's, it's tough to say, hey, we're going to invest this much money into this that's going to benefit you because a lot of people are going to say, well, my power already works. Right. Not all the time. It doesn't always work. And by bolstering that grid with more energy sources that also happen to be good for the planet, you're going to have less blackouts. So, exactly. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So let's get into our next one up here. And it is from Reuters and it's titled a third of commodity hungry firms have no deforestation policy report by Simon Jessup. Out of 350 of the world's companies that are most exposed to palm oil, beef, and timber, only 28% of them have policies in place to make sure their products don't add to deforestation. Protecting the world's forests is crucial for the wildlife that lives in forests, including both plants and animals, but also for mitigating climate change. Forests produce oxygen and remove carbon from the atmosphere, which is why at COP26, 141 countries pledged to stop deforestation by 2030 and to begin forest restoration projects. Additionally, over 30 financial institutions with almost $9 trillion in assets said they would cut businesses that profit off deforestation from their portfolios by 2025. As it stands now, only 38% of financial institutions had a clear policy on addressing deforestation. 
On the national level, the EU and the US are looking at legislation similar to that of the United Kingdom, where British Parliament has made it a legal responsibility for companies to make sure they have no illegal deforestation in their supply chains. Yeah, and companies aren't immune to the harm done either. They face threats from deforestation because it's going to make climate change worse. It's going to impact the water supply. It's going to impact the growing conditions for crops. And it's going to throw off the supply chain and global prices. So it's even in their own best interest to address deforestation. Yeah, this is why I have a hard time believing that the free market can solve this issue on its own. Like, It's really easy to say, hey, we're going to do this by this date. And then just not have the policies in place to really back up what you want to do. And that's also assuming that it's not just some PR move to say, shop here because we're green. Like some stores and brands will say, hey, we're doing this. And then they have these policies that are still contributing to deforestation and other environmental harms. So some stores and brands to avoid if you want to create a positive impact with your wallet are TJ Maxx, Versace, Jimmy Choo, and Michael Kors. Yeah, and TJ Maxx said it has work underway regarding deforestation as part of its environmental sustainability program, but we'll still have to kind of see what comes on that. Mm -hmm. And I also wanted to bring up, there's this site called stand.earth, and they have this filthy fashion scorecard on their site that everyone should definitely check out. And it basically takes all of these retailers and it scores them on how sustainable they are. So there's four different levels or colors in this case, of sustainability. And the first is green, which puts the world on a pathway to 1.5 degrees or less of warming. The next is yellow, which puts the world on a path of two degrees or less of warming. The next is orange, which puts the world on a path to two degrees on the dot of warming. And the last is red, which puts the world on a path of three plus degrees of warming. And all of these companies were rated on a one out of 100 scale. And I just wanted to mention some that were shocking to me. So REI was rated in between one and 15 out of 100. That's insane to me. Yeah. Under Armour was rated zero out of 100. Lululemon was rated 27 out of 100. And the best rated out of all the companies was Levi's, which scored in at a 83 out of 100. That's so wild. And, you know, when I think of Under Armour or Lululemon, that kind of makes sense to me because there's a lot of like synthetics right. that go Elastic into Elastic synthetics. Um, yeah. 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 So, you know, the nature of their product that, that makes sense. REI shocks me. I was thinking the same thing. I was like, how could they, like, that must be a real big greenwashing thing. Like, you put some trees in your, in your logo and, and call it a day. I don't know. I mean, I know they also contribute a lot to um, campaigns for politicians that are going to help with climate mitigation measures and climate adaptation measures. So, yeah, I'm hesitant to say it's just a big greenwashing campaign. And I'm I'm curious what kind of products like if that's all of their products, you know, you got to factor in tents and canoes and things that, you know, are probably a little bit harder to make sustainably for them without making that conscious decision. Right. I'm curious about like the REI brand t-shirts or REI sweatshirts. Like I wonder if those are sourced ethically and who knows, you said it's between one and 15. Maybe the tents are the one and the sweatshirts are only 15. I'm just kind of spitballing here. Yeah. I mean, I feel like this isn't like a big picture thing. So like if, if a company is doing, you know, stuff like you just said, like to implement, um, 
better policymakers or whatever the case may be, that's obviously not on this scorecard. But mm-hmm. it is at least somewhere to, that we can reference when we're going to, you know, to the retail shops that we're going to. Yeah, and you know, even if a company is donating to the right people to get environmental policy measures passed, and then they're coming back and having unsustainable clothing, then you're kind of just counteracting what you stand for Mm. with the policies you have in place. Yeah, exactly. The next one is from The Guardian, where Saeed Kamali Degon writes, world's poorest bear brunt of climate crisis, 10 underreported emergencies. So look, this is a really important article and one that I think everyone should click on in their show notes. So check it out. The author discusses the 235 million people across the world that needed assistance in 2021. And some of these climate impacts are underreported. Some of the main issues that we're going to be talking here attributed to climate change have been made worse by the global COVID-19 pandemic. So we're talking about poverty, migration, hunger, gender inequality, and scarce resources. The CEO of Care International UK, Lori Lee, adds, there is a deep injustice to it all. The world's poorest are bearing the brunt of climate change despite having done the least to cause it. Yeah, and we're only going to be discussing the climate stories here, but we definitely encourage everyone to check out all of the stories in the article because they are definitely important. And with that, we'll start off with the first one. In Zambia, 1.2 million people are malnourished and 60% of the country's population of 18.4 million people are living below the poverty line. Women produced 60% of Zambia's food supply, but families that are headed by women faced higher poverty rates than those led by men. Prolonged drought has definitely not helped the food insecurity issue found here. Yeah, and Malawi also faces a food insecurity crisis where 17% of the people are severely malnourished. Droughts, floods, and landslides have been predicted to become worse due to climate change, which means that the food insecurity issue here will also worsen. Moving on to Guatemala, it's on the migratory route to Mexico and to the United States, and it's struggling with poverty, violence, and the climate crisis. So two-thirds of the population live on less than $2 per day, and 38% of people face food insecurity. Guatemala is also considered one of the world's most dangerous countries with a high murder rate. So as the climate crisis begins to displace more and more people, Guatemala risks its issues getting worse than they already are. Yeah, and now we're going to get into Colombia, where an economic recession has left nearly 5 million people under the control of armed groups. 6.7 million people depend on humanitarian aid, and the country struggles with a food insecurity issue. This also has a huge impact on the 1.8 million Venezuelan refugees that live in northern Colombia. Burundi was ranked as the country that is the seventh most in need of assistance globally last year, as extreme weather, extreme hunger, and political unrest impacted a country where 90% of people rely on small-scale agriculture, and only a third of the land is farmable due to droughts, floods, and landslides. As you can imagine, climate change will make this situation worse and lead to more importing of food and goods. Structural gender inequality is also a major issue here, where 60% of the agricultural workforce is represented by women and only 20% of the country's decision-making body are women. Yeah, and in in Niger, droughts and floods have led to 3 million people relying on humanitarian aid. About 1.8 million children need food assistance and nearly 50% of all children under the age of five are malnourished. 
Militias in eastern and northern Niger have led to 313,000 people being displaced, which makes limited supplies in certain areas become scarce and an increased reliance on humanitarian aid. In Zimbabwe, food insecurity and worsening climate conditions were the main issues last year and add on economic mismanagement, and it leads to about 6.6 million people needing humanitarian aid, including 5.7 million people lacking sufficient food. That number makes up over one-third of the country's population. And lastly, in Honduras, droughts, hurricanes, and floods have contributed to 70% of the population living in poverty and the highest number of displaced people in Latin America. This was a tough, but definitely an important article to read, uh, you guys should all check it out. And if any of these causes speak to you, definitely get involved. Yeah, agreed 100%. Um, we are going to take a quick break and then we'll be right back. The Planet Today is brought to you by Vela Alta. Vela Alta's everyday handkerchief is a high performance daily use handkerchief designed to help minimize your impact. Made in the United States from sustainably sourced Irish linen, capturing the material's historic craftsmanship and natural antimicrobial properties, handkerchiefs perfectly balance softness with durability and absorbency with rapid drying. Ideal for functional use in all settings, from the outdoors to routine encounters, their small and lightweight design makes one a must-carry for wherever life takes you. Build your own bundles from limited edition colors at valalta.co and save 15% with code TPT at checkout. That's V-A-L-A-A-L-T-A dot co and code TPT. Welcome back to the planet today, folks. And our next one is some news out of the South Pacific, where Jonathan Amos of the BBC writes, Pacific Volcano, ash-covered Tonga is like a moonscape. The Hunga Tonga Hunga Ha'apai underwater volcano erupted around 40 miles north of the island nation of Tonga on Saturday, sending ash and smoke into the sky and creating tsunami waves. The eruption was loud enough to be heard in New Zealand, which is almost 1,500 miles away. If you're not familiar with the island, Tonga is located between New Zealand and Samoa. So the first official report from the island came out on Tuesday, and it unfortunately confirmed three fatalities. The government said that the Tongan Navy had been deployed with health teams and water, food, and tents to outlying islands. It has been hard to get information because internet and phone lines were down due to the tsunami, and the island's 105,000 people had been mostly unreachable before 80% of power in the nation's capital was, was actually restored on Monday. Yeah, so dust from the eruption has been contaminating water supplies and making fresh water a vital need for the island. So bottled water has been recommended here as of face masks to protect people's lungs from the ash. Some ash clouds have reached heights of 63,000 feet. Tsunami waves hit the nation's capital with waves up to four feet as people searched for high ground in a relatively flat country. Yeah, and some islands in Tonga were hit by 50-foot waves at the coast. The Tongan government said all the houses were destroyed on Mongo Island and only two houses remained on Fonoifua. Each of those islands has less than 200 residents. On Monday... Fatafei Fakafanua, the Speaker of the Legislative Assembly of Tonga, said the fall of volcanic ash had affected many areas of the country and the damage from the tsunami was devastating. 
New Zealand's foreign minister, Nania Mahuta, added that the ash on the Nuka Alofa airport runway had to be cleared before a flight with humanitarian assistance can even land. And we do have one positive update here. The first plane with humanitarian aid arrived at Tonga's largest island on Thursday morning from New Zealand. The tsunami also caused significant damage in New Zealand, where Prime Minister Jacinda Ardern said that boats washed ashore and beachside shops were battered. Tsunami warnings were issued as far as Japan and the United States, where flooding from the eruption hit some coastal parts of California and Alaska. Yeah, I mean, the pictures of the actual explosion were literally something out of a movie. Like, I woke up on Saturday morning and and saw that it had happened and was in complete disbelief. Like, I'm not even sure that I knew underwater volcanoes existed before this. Yeah, I mean, whenever I think of underwater volcanoes erupting, I always think of like, oh, that's what creates a lot of islands. Um, You never think of the ones that erupt and just cause insane amounts of damage. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it's really, really tough. And, you know, the fact that humanitarian aid planes can't even land there right now because the ash is so significant like you're taking a problem that's already terrible and we we can't get that solution there and, and that's that's the the hardest part for me here is yeah you know these people need help right now and the, the people that want to help can't so yeah it's it's truly awful yeah we're powerless yeah the volcano had actually been erupting for several days before the large eruption that Nick and I are talking about here. And look, this is all located in a seismic activity region known as the Ring of Fire. And it's basically right next to the Tonga Trench, which lies between the Australian plate and the Pacific plate. And all of that tectonic activity means earthquakes and volcanic eruptions are actually frequent. So this eruption, though, is the largest in the region in three decades. So, you know, like we said, our our thoughts go out to all those impacted. This is really terrible. Yeah, seriously. Prayers for all of those who are affected by this, and I hope everyone stays safe and gets the help that they actually need. Um, And this is an ongoing story, so we had to record on Tuesday of this week, like I said at the beginning, so definitely watch out for updates after we record. Yeah, and most importantly, the Tongan people need fresh water and food, so if you're able to help, here's a good way to do it. Pita Taufatofua, who's the Tongan flag bearer for the Olympics, has started a GoFundMe page, and we're going to link that in the show notes. Awesome. Yeah, definitely go check that out. And let's end on a more positive note. World's largest fish breeding area discovered in Antarctica by a group from the Alfred Wegener Institute at the Helmholtz Center for Polar and Marine Research. Near the Filchner Ice Shelf in the South Antarctic Weddell Sea, a team has found the largest fish breeding ground in the world that we know of. Nearly 60 million ice fish were breeding at the time of observation, and that led to the establishment of a marine protected area in this part of the Southern Ocean. The breeding ground is estimated to be about 240 square kilometers, which is about the size of the island of Malta. Yeah, and deep sea biologist Autun Purser said, The idea that such a huge breeding area of ice fish in the Weddell Sea was previously undiscovered is totally fascinating. Yeah, I I agree. That's one of the things that always shocks me about how vast our world really is. Like we are always discovering new things that have always been there or we're researching new things that are developing in the places we already knew about. So yeah, I just find science awesome. And these sort of things kind of make me mildly annoyed by people who want to go research or colonize the moon or Mars because there is so much for us still to do here 
And there's so much we can still do to fix the climate crisis if we just focus more on that. Dude, absolutely. And what you just said kind of reminded me of the fact that we don't really know what's in our oceans. Like more than 80% of our ocean is unexplored, unobserved, and unmapped. And if we start there, like who knows what other breeding grounds or new species of fish that we could find, it's it, the opportunities are endless. Yeah, there's so much out there and, you know, all different fish that always pop up on Discovery Channel every year and they're like, hey, here's these crazy, like otherworldly fish. And every year I'm like, oh my God, that <laughs> yeah. is so cool. <laughs> like, look for more of those. We don't need to go to the moon. There's nothing there. Yeah, seriously. Let's cut, let's <laughs> cut the the 20 minute joyride space races out and let's get, let's get down into the water. Let's get diving. Let's get diving. That's, that's That's the motto. (laughs) That's the motto of today's episode. (laughs) All right. That'll do it for today's episode of TPT. I will be back on Monday for our first guest interview of 2021. Yes. So Matt will be interviewing Ryan Godolphin to talk about smart grid technology and both the good and bad about plastics. Yeah, it was a really, really fun interview. I'm excited for you to hear it and definitely hope you learn as much as I did about plastics. So in the meantime, you know the drill. Any questions, comments, story wrecks, or potential guests, send those our way through our socials and through email. If you like the show, please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. We would also love it if you could leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. Planet Today is written and hosted by me, Matt Norton. You can follow me on Twitter at Matt Norton. We are co-hosted and produced every week by the incredibly talented Nick Janusa, who also does all of our music here. Nick, where can our listeners hear more from you? You can hear more from me at soundcloud.com slash budlincape, and that is B-U-D-L-Y-N-C-A-P-E. Go check me out. You can keep up with the entire TPT team on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Planet Today Pod, or email us at planettodaypod at gmail.com. Make sure to follow our socials for an exclusive quick hit every week that we are not talking about in the podcast, which you know if you follow us because we didn't talk about the one that dropped yesterday. Our logo was made by Kaylee Veets. Have a great weekend, everyone, and we will catch you right here on Monday. Peace. Peace.